Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. And the best part about podcasts is they create a 25th hour in the day. Whenever I'm commuting, metro, car, even when I'm riding my bike around town, although in that case, one earphone only, safety kids, I'm always listening to podcasts. And this offseason, you can get all the insights, all the news, all the analysis, and Logan and I occasionally make a joke or two in the Take Command podcast on demand so it fits in to your busy schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop, And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports. That is Logan Paulson. I am Craig Hoffman, and it is time to dive into the tape. 34-31, of course, was the final scores. The Eagles beat the Commanders, Logan. But as we uh, first go quickly high level before we dive into the details Anything different from watching it on TV uh, than than watching it on on the All-22 back? Yeah, I think the thing that really stuck out to me was just how sharp the offense was. I think, you know, we talked about in the pregame show and in the, in the preview show last week on the podcast that, you know, there'd be opportunity if they could protect. And I feel like they were able to maximize that opportunity. The other thing is, like, I think you see the kind of analytics negative of running the football in certain situations on early downs. It's really weird. Like, it, it helps – but also there was a period in the third quarter where like EB was pretty heavy running the ball on on first down and it gets you in these second and 10, second and eight situations. And it, it's a little bit of a claw and scratch to get that first down. Um, and so there's a ton of benefits to it, but there's also some drawbacks. And so that that was really interesting to watch, you know, play out over the course of the game. Um, and then defensively, defensively, man, it's so frustrating to watch defensive football in my opinion because you're so close so many times to making a huge play and the offense just finds a little bit of space you get a penalty or whatever it is and I felt like in the first half they played a pretty clean side the Washington the the commanders did and then obviously in the second half there was four explosive plays that lead to points and probably are the difference in the outcome of the game which is crazy but like you know, you mentioned it on the pre on the preview show. You know, at, at Tap Sports Bar, don't give up explosives, and this is one of the reasons why. Analytically, we got that statistic we always cite, where if you have a play of 15 yards or more, you're 55 percent more likely to score points. So that definitely what came to fruition because in the first half, I thought that the defense did a really good job of being consistent, keeping everything in front of them, and forcing them to go on long drives. Also, the third down conversions in third and short and fourth and short. Were an absolute dagger because they did all this great work. It's third and two. They get a they run for one yard. It's it's fourth and one. They're like, all right, well, no, we're gonna go tish push here and get the first down. And they did that, I think, twice or three times. They, so yeah, I think they ran three of them. I think they ran two like traditional. Although the one they didn't get and they had the false start penalty. By the way, on the other one that they got, there was a false start on the left guard. I think it was. It was one of their yeah. guards jumped and they didn't call it. And it's yeah. like. Yeah, it's really hard to stop. And also the umpire was like still on Jalen Hurts' yeah. butt. And you're like, yeah. yeah, no wonder you didn't stop it. Nobody was ready. And and they left early. 
and yeah, you give that up, but they also did a great job with the one where they ran around the edge. So um, that was one of the things that I talked about last week too um, here. And I think, I know I talked about it on the show for sure. Like you've got to avoid third and short against them in a way that you don't have to against right. other teams. Like you always want to, of course, not be in third and two, but it is basically automatic uh, when the, when the Eagles get to that point. And, and unfortunately the commanders wound up there a couple of times. Um, yeah, the explosive stuff. We'll talk about uh, Emmanuel Forbes day because unfortunately, like those two things are very tied together. He's the guy yeah. that gave them up a lot and it started by the way, at the end of the first half, um, that field goal that they get is because of an explosive play where Devonte Smith just honestly makes a hell of a play, but we'll get to it uh, in just a little bit. Let's, let's go offense first though. And why were they able to find and create space get the yards after catch, do so much of the, or so many of the things that we've been hoping for in this Philly game compared to a complete inability to do them against Buffalo. Well, it's funny because I don't think they really did anything like dramatically different. You know, I think everyone expected it to be all these new concepts, all these new things. I really think the cadence of the play caller was the biggest difference. You know, EB was a little bit more conservative. We're going to run the ball. We're going to run quick game. I also think Sam deserves a lot of credit. He was very, there was a couple times that there was one play, I think it was in the third quarter, second or third quarter where Sam Cosme loses really quickly to Fletcher Cox and they're running a bow concept. And earlier in the season, Sam held the ball and trying to hit the dig. So bow is a five yard sit and a, and a, and a 14 yard, 12 to 14 yard dig behind it. Mm -hmm. And in the, in earlier in the season, Sam held it, trying to hit the, hit the dig. And this one, he was like, there's pressure right now. Let's hit it to the, that the quick one to Logan Thomas. It was, I think this, this was completed to, I'm sure there was, it happened a whole bunch of times in the game, like him just getting yeah. the ball out quickly. There was also one to Logan Thomas. There was one to Bates too, not on the same concepts, but in terms of just checking the football down yeah. and the rhythm and timing of the play, I thought he was much cleaner. And this one specifically Fletcher Cox is right in his face. Gets the ball out for a five-yard gain. It's third and four. They have an opportunity to kind of convert on that third down. So I think he deserves a ton of credit. I think EB deserves a ton of credit. There was a period where it was very kind of – you can feel it when you're watching it where it's it was kind of – they didn't – I didn't know what they were going to do. I didn't, I didn't know what they were going to do because I felt like they were in a little bit of an offensive rut. And I really love it because EB calls a, uh, a roll, a sprint left, and they get an easy completion for seven yards to Jahan. I thought that's the perfect thing to kind of protect the pass rush, give Sam an easy throw. And so I just felt like EB was in his bag a little bit and Sam was playing well and that the route distribution at the second level was really good. Um, so I, I think there was a lot of really positive things to take away. I thought the O-line competed their tails off. So uh, in terms of off offense, I think there was a ton of really good stuff. And I felt like they just executed the way that we'd seen them execute against the Broncos in terms of running routes and spacing and finding open stuff. And I think, I think they deserve EB deserves a ton of credit. Sam deserves a ton of credit, but the offense as a whole really in terms of how they detailed this up, I thought did a great job. Yeah. The detail to it, I really enjoyed. And I think that the play calling was much I like, I don't say much better, but like the play calling was definitively better in this game for where this offense is right now. And like we talked last week, and like the the big dramatic sports talky version of this that I would say is um, EB's got to realize he's calling the offense for Sam Howell, not Patrick Mahomes. And there was a couple of things I meant by that, uh, mainly that he's got to adjust to a quarterback who is 
the worst in the league at taking sacks versus the guy who's the best in the league at taking sacks. Uh, and that was backed up by the data so far this year, not just me watching it being like, oh, that guy's the best. That guy's the worst. Um, statistically, like that was the case coming into this game. And that's going to involve running the football a little bit more. That's going to involve a dedicated uh, quick game, not just of like some quicker concepts, but some screens and things to get the ball out of his hands. It's going to involve moving the pocket. And I think that he did all that stuff with enough regularity to keep the pass rush more or less at bay. We will talk about the sacks because he still took five of them. Uh, so we'll talk about the protection breakdowns and how that that improved and can continue to improve in a second. But I think that the rhythm that EB got into was really fantastic. And, and it started early. Like they ran the ball definitively more early than they have in other games. And I, I did think that they did a good job too of moving the pocket. And, and that is a testament to how good Sam is that he can move right, move left, make the throws, read defenses while on the run. Obviously you don't have like a full field read, but like that's, that's hard to do. Like, and I, I don't think people realize that necessarily like go run full speed one direction and what feel your head bobbing up and down and then try to move, read like all these, these bodies, uh, you know, moving all over the place. And then, and then by the way, make an accurate throw and Sam, Sam can do that. And so, I was really impressed with how they set Sam up for success. And then obviously I think we see the reasons why both of us are believers that Sam Howell can be the long-term answer at quarterback for this team uh, because he shows you the talent, shows you the the discipline, shows you the arm strength, shows you the mobility to, to make all that stuff work. You brought up a couple of really good things there. One of the things that stuck out to me about what you said is you talked about Sam, you talked about EB. So I want to just touch on a couple of things real quick. One, with the play calling, if you look at the first drive, I think it really encapsulates like what you're talking about, right? They start off with a run. It's a gain of one yard. Who cares? No big deal. The next play is a quick game, and everyone was calling for more quick game. But the thing about the way they run the quick game with these receivers ends up being a 15-yard gain. They, are, they have an unblocked pressure on that play. And Sam, because it is a quick game, is able to get the ball out in the rhythm and timing, protect the offensive line, and get a first down, which is awesome. Next play is an RPO. They had a slant on the RPO to 17. Great job. It's just – it's there's a loss on the play in terms of pass protection. And it's and it's just because the because the 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 concept is so much quicker, you end up with a better play. And that's kind of the the result, right? You got a B-Rob run. You get a catch by number four in terms of choice route. You know, we've talked about choice a ton with Jahan and different guys running it. He makes an excellent decision versus right coverage. And so you just feel like there's no deep concepts here. There's no shot plays or anything like that. It's just guys kind of doing what they're doing. Again, this is a, it's a very high risk scenario because you don't get any kind of big explosive chunks. So you have to go on a 14, 15 play drive. But I think you see the benefits of kind of this, this quick game, this run first, and then kind of picking your spots to take the shot. And I feel, and the thing that's a little bit frustrating, if there's one criticism of the offense, is that they didn't hit any of the shot plays. They yeah. had that one to Terry down the field where he's running the post. It's wide open. And I Sam might have got hit. His arm might have got hit. But the ball. The pressure kind of, definitely affected it. I don't know whether yeah. directly or indirectly. But you'd like him to hit that one for and sure. And then there was one to Diami later where I felt like he left the ball a little bit inside. So there's stuff like that. But I just, the, the rhythm of the play call and then the ability to convert, right? I think as 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 a guy who's who's called plays at a very different level than EB, there's this thing that you get in a rhythm because you're like, oh, this is working. The guys are making their guys are making it come to life. It's I can kind mm. of call whatever I need to call to to help Sam, and I know the receiver is going to make it work. Guys are going to make good decisions in terms of reading zones, 
And I think that's awesome. And then you mentioned Sam. And there's that period, I think, in the fourth quarter where they didn't do anything in the third. And they come out and they convert. I want to say it's four consecutive, three or four consecutive first da- third downs with him running. He escapes to his right. right. Gibson's out in the flat. He's looking around, hits Gibson. Escapes to his left, gets the personal foul. And then I just love that kind of moxie, that confidence it gave the offense. It really sparked them. And they go down and they score on that drive. So great job of kind of responding to the Eagles score, but also being off schedule. Like those concepts when he's scrambling are completely covered. They're blanketed, right? And that happens sometimes when you're in when you're in a game. Like they they win too. And so for him to kind of have the composure to get out of a sack, extend those plays, like that is the stuff that is special about Sam that we're excited about. And you you alluded to there. And I think there's multiple sequences, specifically in the second half, where you're like, this dude, like that's big time football and that's big time elevation of this offense. So uh, I totally agree with all that. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like, let's zoom out for a second before we zoom back into the details. But like, yeah. would you rather have him or Zach Wilson or yeah. Justin Fields or like all Great these question. all these young quarterbacks? And like, I think the answer through four games, if you if you just look at the tape and look at the, you know, there are now five games for Sam and however many for these other guys, like, yeah, CJ Stroud, you probably still want CJ Stroud. Like he's, he looks awesome down in Houston and like, yeah. you know, Bryce Young, we haven't seen enough yet in Carolina, but like how many young quarterbacks in the league that are in their second year or less would you want over Sam Howell right now? The answer is just not many when you yeah. see some of this high level stuff that he's doing. And then, well, you know, sorry, yeah, it's, your point. it's just, He's kind of in that group of guys that get you optimistic. Like Anthony Richardson doesn't play a super clean game. I think he's 11 for 22. But there were moments where he's making plays for the offense. He's elevating. C.J. Stroud didn't play the cleanest game. I think he was 16 for 32 or something like that. 300. Yeah, but he's finding explosive plays. He's executing the offense. He's making plays. And you're kind of like, it's not perfect. It's not always pretty, but he's elevating. And, you know, C.J. Stroud earlier this year had a terrible game. You know, um uh, Richardson also had a really rough game. I think his first game of the year was not the best in terms of completion percentage. All that. Maybe his second game of the year. But Sam is kind of, you're going through a similar maturation with him. Some good stuff, some bad stuff, some really bad stuff, some excellent stuff. And I think it there's enough of the kind of, it's so hard to define, of the playmaking moxie is the mm. word I'm going to use. That playmaking kind of, the moment's not too big for me. They're on the road in Philly. And, he's, and he looks like he's out playing pickup football with his buddies and there's something there in terms of and it's got to grow it's got to continue to grow and continue to get better but the fact that he takes five sacks this week and is hitting the check downs and is more on rhythm he's just a guy who seems to get better in in conjunction with the the playmaker and it it it, it gives me a lot of optimism to your point that he's kind of in that group of young players who are who are guys you want to bet on moving forward well, and the bounce back ability, like not yeah. just game to game, but snap to snap. I mean, I almost felt like when they, um, whatever nonsense play call they did on the second to last play of regulation, where they throw the ball like in the dirt short to, to Curtis, you're like, yeah. what was that? Like, thank God that wasn't completed because yeah. the game's over. When that happened and there was two seconds left, I was like, they're going to score here. I don't know why. I just feel it. like you Sam's going to f- find a way. It felt inevitable. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's, you know, part of his like, the karma for the Eagles doing the dumb thing. Um, but also just your, your faith in Sam is, is kind of crazy. And back to the specifics, right? The, the conversion ability on third down and leads to an offensive efficiency. I think they wound up eight of 17, which is, you know, they started like one for four and then, then picked it up from there. 
Um, but they finished eight of 17 on third down and two for two on fourth down. Uh, and so what you, what you get is an offense that runs like 77 plays, I think, you know, obviously they go to overtime, um, but they don't really run a lot of plays in overtime, sadly. Um, but they, they run all the, all these plays and it leads to Terry, 10 targets, Curtis, eight targets, Jahan, nine targets. Like that's how you get your playmakers involved. Like you have to run enough plays. And so when sometimes we, and you're, you're the guy who's taught me this, I think more than anybody, because I'll, I'll start whining about Terry's targets or Jahan's or whatever. And you're like, buddy, they ran 42 plays yeah. or 51 plays. And it's like, oh, I know how to get these guys, you know, more targets, run more plays. Run more plays and convert on third down. And that's the crux of your argument. And it's, and it's right on, in my opinion. And it's just, it's great to see that because if you don't extend those drives, you don't get opportunities. B-Rob doesn't get his touchdown. And we're talking about, hey, B-Rob had a really quiet day. That comes on two third down conversions, three third down conversions, because the third one is the is the one where they do the the quarterback sneak and they're offsides with uh, Logan Thomas and mm-hmm. they get pushed back. It's third and six, and then they hit the little um, you know little outbreaking route, outbreaking return route to Curtis okay, for the Deani. first down. Or it's Curtis, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the next play is a run for that big. It's like an eight yard run by. Uh, nine yard run by um by B Rob and then he has a touchdown and so everyone's saying where's B Rob he's not getting his touches because he was kind of flat I'd say or well contained outside of those kind of couple plays but he shows up and his stat line looks better and everybody everybody's production improves right all rising tide raises raises all ships so I, I just think there was uh, that that efficiency was so fun to see and the fact they're able to stay on the field and make plays when they had to really I, I just come out of it feeling really really good about the offense and again they got to do it week in and week out but i feel much better about that group yeah um also continue to feel great about them in two minute situations oh, i mean to yeah. go down and tie the game like that they've been great in that situation all year and how how often has it felt like you know again no disrespect to scott turner just reality check for scott turner as the offense the last couple of years like when you see the the other side if you will yeah. it's like you know end of game end of half so many points feel like they were left on the board and and now from not just from an execution but from a mentality standpoint where it's like yeah no we're not taking a knee like we're going down obviously at the end of the game you're not going to but you know the all the other first halves this year i feel like they've they've driven tried to drive down at the end of the half um with that said the the one area of concern i would say coming out of this game offensively is Sam Howell does still take five sacks. And I think we're doing a disservice to the listening audience and viewing audience to not talk about that because if he takes five sacks a game, that's still like a record-setting trend. That's still bad. It feels a lot better because they score 31 and it's way less than the nine and there's no interceptions on other pressures that go with it this week. Um, and ironically, Logan, I did say we, we did our keys to the game on the, uh, the pregame show. And I said, sack interception number for them to win. It's gotta be four or less. It was five. Yeah. Well, Ah. I think it's good insight though. And uh, so let's talk about the sacks real quick. So the first one is in the red zone. So you never want to take a sack in the red zone, obviously, but he gets tripped by Leno and the pocket is, and it's not, it's not pristine, but it's clean. Guys are covering people up, and he's trying to scramble out, and his eyes are downfield to get yeah. tripped. So, I, I don't. It's I don't not even like say... he gets tripped. He tripped himself. He yes. tripped over Leno's foot. Um, yeah. Charles doesn't like. I guess he technically gives up a sack there, but that's not really on him. Yeah. So it's kind of like that one. I, so maybe you're right. Maybe it is just four because I don't. That one in my mind, I, it is. Well, they a didn't sack. win, so I, for my stat to be right, it's got to be five. It's got to be a win. If it had been four, they would have won, Logan. That's how yeah. the math works. All right, that's fair enough. But see, that one is is kind of 
it's one of those weird things that happens in a game. Like the pocket's good. He's trying to get out of the pocket. He trips. No one actually touches him. He just falls on the ground. And then somebody comes over and taps him on the head. And it's like, okay. So that one is whatever. The next one, I do, I will say, I think uh, 76, Cosby's done a really good job all season. But I think this game, he struggled a bit. And he's going against Fletcher Cox. And Fletcher Cox was kind of in his bag. And um, Sam saved him on a sack, I thought, because he, he had a quick loss. Um, we just mentioned Sam gets the ball out. Obviously, there's an, the, the next one in the sequence, uh, Fletcher Cox gets a sack. And it's just a quick win. That's a loss. I, I don't want to say those happen. You don't want those to happen, especially quick losses. But it happened. So that that is an easy one kind of to explain. I think he hits kind of a little stutter step. Kind of, I don't know, it's a bull. It's a hump move, right? So it's the patented John Allen, but he's going from left to right on your screen. So arm his 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 right shoulder under Cosme's left armpit lifts him up rips under and is in there for a sack so yeah he's a good football player he might be a hall of famer like those things happen um the next one i think was tough because it was in kind of a critical situation it was second and 10 uh 72 and 71 both give up a pressure one of them was to josh sweat and one of them was to Hassan reddick uh on second like i said on second and 10 and it was in kind of an obvious passing situation it looked like the offensive line might not have gotten off the ball quite like when they were supposed to it wasn't terrible but the 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 rush has had a really really good jump and that one that's tough because you see that happen in obvious passing situations kind of across the league and i want to say yeah o-line be better is what i'm going to say there because i don't think sam could have really done anything differently but that's kind of my general high level thought on that yeah, one thing that I will say, if I'm going to go one uh, one area or opportunity for improvement on the play calling front for EB, I don't love that second and 10 is always a passing situation, which I know sounds a little crazy, but like if it's 100% of the time a passing situation and the defense isn't even considering that you might run it and try to get it to third and seven versus third and 10, and you're going to try to get a, something a little bit longer developing, it's pin your ears back time. Yeah. Like, and so whether it's a draw, whether it's a screen, like they have not really used that second and long situation aggression against a defense yet this year. Um, yeah. And I, and I, and I think, I, I think Grant Paulson had this stat, but like, I think they've literally run it zero times on second and 10. That's year. pretty wild. Um, it's so, so, it's so, it's so funny, man. Like as a play caller, you just get in like, Unless like, oh, we got to get a chunk back. We got to get to third and four. Unless you're actively, unless you have someone there that's kind of reminding you, hey, man, like, make sure, like, for example, I have a guy on the staff that's like, hey, man, we need to throw the ball on first down because I'm a really big, like, in high school especially, run the ball on first down. And it's just nice to have someone be like, hey, remember, we do this all the time. And you're like, right, let's do something different. And because you do have, like, these rhythms and these patterns that you feel comfortable calling. And I definitely think that's, that's one of them for EB seemingly. So, yeah. So I would just say like, you know, you live in 30 and seven sometimes and, you know, uh, or, or you might, God forbid, get six yards on a run. Like, and it's yeah. especially bad. I think after a bad run on first down and it's like, yeah, bad runs happen. Sometimes you get one, but if you're going to average four yards a carry, the next one's going to be for what? Like nine, eight, yeah. seven, something like that. Seven. Cause then you divide by, you divide by two and it's what eight yards happening? total. And then it's four <laughs> yards per carry. Um, so like you might get seven on the next one. So like, don't yeah. be afraid of that. Um, I, I would say on second and long, because I do think that's where some of these sacks happen. And then it like, then you're in third and very long. And now There's you're third and 22 screwed. after that third and 22. So not, yeah, that's a, a non winnable down a distance. And right. I, so I missed one when we were going through the sacks. The other one was a six man pressure where they brought like a double a look. 
and they just didn't yep. get picked up. And I think Sam's got to probably identify that. But to Sam's credit, like in game, the last play, um, before the last play of regulation to Jahan, the one to Curtis is that same pressure. And that's why he's throwing the ball out so quick to kind of find a hot solution. So obviously he identified it. He responded appropriately. And I, I love that in-game learning. But that's one where you got to kind of say, hey, man, this is I'm going to be hot here. I need to I need to make an adjustment in terms of where the ball needs to go. So um, on the whole, I, it's five sacks, but I don't know. It, it felt like a pretty clean game. The pockets were pretty good on the whole. It wasn't like it was a couple weeks ago when um, uh, the San Francisco 49ers played the Giants. And it was pretty much like every down was a loss. And it was like six sacks or seven sacks. It wasn't like a huge sack total, but there was like 30 pressures in the game. It wasn't like that. It, it was yeah. It was a pretty solid pocket. The guys did a pretty good job staying in front of their guys, picking up blitz looks. And while five sacks is a lot of sacks and it's too many sacks, and they would tell you that as well, The I don't think that's necessarily reflective of the performance. And I think the reason I'm kind of optimistic about it is because um, I think Sam looked a lot better in terms of identifying pressure. So that was really good. And I think there was a lot more. Um, and I think the O-line was just very competitive in one-on-one situations like, Sadiq Charles did a fantastic job against uh, Jalen Carter. Really did a fantastic job. And that was a matchup that maybe a lot of people had predicted going the other way. But great job by Sadiq. And well, it's funny you say that because uh, PFF did not. PFF gave him a 29 pass block grade. See, I didn't see that. I didn't really get that vibe from him. I, I don't, You know, I go through and I kind of evaluate all the plays. And I'm going fast, obviously. So I'm not doing what PFF's doing with their army of little football nerds breaking down the stuff but <laughs> i actually thought he did some really good stuff like he's he's on the the front side single that springs be rob's touchdown he, yep. he, he did some really consistent kind of athletic stuff and i felt like he didn't really give up a pressure at least to my mind so it'd be interesting to go back and watch that pff stuff and see what they have classified as pressures because sometimes they classify stuff that i don't classify as pressures as pressures and that's their prerogative that's their grading system but on the whole yeah. I, I really thought i really thought the o-line played well enough to win the football game right it, and i think that, that's important to yeah. yeah i think that's important to clarify because people i think will listen to you say like five sacks is too many but they played okay and be like how is that true yeah. and it's like yeah. what do the rest of the snaps look like yeah do you play really because like you cannot give up sacks but also play like crap yes, yes. um that's but you that, can yeah. also give up a few sacks here and there and play really well every other down and that's going to give you a chance to be competitive yeah. now i think the inverse is kind of i don't say the inverse is true on defense like in terms of explosive plays but like as we'll talk about when we get to the defense here in a second like you play pretty well down to down and give up four explosives right. and you're going to be dead <clears throat> um so there's the, the the barometers uh and the the parameters for uh offense and defense are a little bit different in that regard in terms of the big plays giving up uh, one way or the other, because on offense, you have a chance to make up for it. On defense, you give up a big one, you don't. Uh, and we'll get to that on the defensive side of the ball. Anything else from the offense that we want to hit on before we do get to that defensive side? Yeah, just um, real quick, one thing is, I one last thought on the offensive line, and that would be that, to your point, when they played the Bills, it felt a little bit sloppy at times, even though Sam was responsible for a lot of those pass, those sacks and pressures and all that kind of thing, and he's holding the ball too long. It felt a little bit more in the balance. The pockets were a little bit tighter. The pressure was a little bit greater. Sam was having a hard time seeing. And this week, I felt like that there was more depth to the pocket. There was more width to the pocket. 
the combinations were much better. I felt like at times they didn't identify exactly who they were going to. But in terms of being physical on the down guy, being physical on the defensive lineman, I thought there was a lot of good stuff that they did that you're saying that this is this is winning football from that group. So I think that's a great point you're saying. It's it's there there is a scale and the sack number isn't the only thing, but the down to down consistency I thought was much much better from this group and it, and it's something that allows you to win. And I think when your offense scores 31 points and is pretty consistent on third down, that group's playing playing pretty solid football. So. Yeah, and so how does that match up against other teams like the Bills, twitchy athletes? Yeah, Eagles right. a little bit different. How's it match up against, for instance, the Bears? Uh, that <laughs> tomorrow on Take Command. Make sure you are subscribed wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports. Logan Paulson there. Craig Hoffman here. And we will be there if there is Tap Sports Bar, MGM National Harbor on Thursday. Yes. I feel like that was smooth enough, Logan. Pulled it off. That's pretty good. Yeah. 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 Uh, Tap Sports <laughs> Bar. Uh, Hoffman show starts at 4 o'clock on the team, 980. Logan's going to pop by at some point during that. And then we officially get started with the Take Command pregame show at 630. Uh, it's official because we call it the Take Command pregame show and we'll be simulcast on both the team, 980. And 106.7 The Fan, of course, will be streaming live on YouTube the entire time as well. 4 o'clock, the stream starts on 980, 6.30, it starts on The Fan. So if you can't make it in person on your way to FedEx Field or just to come hang out and watch the game in general at National Harbor, uh, make sure that you are tuned in on the radio or on the YouTube stream, and we will see you there. Uh, as for the defensive performance, uh, this is this is going to be an interesting one, Logan, yeah. because they have given up 30 points in three or four games this season. That is not good. But when you look at this tape, uh, my prediction is that you're going to have a lot of players that played really well yeah. and uh, 17 points at least directly tied to explosive plays given up by one young rookie <laughs> who competed his ass off and got beat a lot. Yeah, and I think that's really what it comes down to. Like, when you look at the first half, I think the defense is playing okay. I think they're playing in the way that Jack wants them to play. They're playing pretty consistent down-to-down. -down. There's a couple of first downs here and there that you're like, man, I wish you could have made that tackle, or I wish that pressure would have got home, or whatever it is. But that's the nature of defense now, is it's, it's really hard to consistently outplay the offense. But I thought... In the first half specifically, they did a pretty good job of containing that group, eliminating the effectiveness of the run, and kind of limiting, uh, limiting explosive plays down the field. And I forget what the exact score was going before that three points at halftime. It wasn't it seven to 
It was 17-7. I mean, they give up. So the Washington comes out, has this beautiful 14-play, 75-yard drive for a touchdown. The Eagles respond with their own 12-play, 75-yard touchdown drive. And then Washington scores again, and then it's five plays and out, three and out for the Eagles. And then it's really the one big explosive play to Devontae Smith, which is I think was on a third and eight. And and Jalen chucks it down there, and Forbes is really honestly in very good position. Devontae mosses him. and couple plays later they kick a field goal like that's the first half yeah and i think uh i think that's kind of that encapsulates our point really well on those other on those other drives they just limited the explosive plays of the the philadelphia offense they did a really good job and said we don't believe you can consistently drive the length of the field they did it one time out of three and then before two minute before before the half excuse me during that two minute drive they get an explosive play and We've talked about this at nauseum. We talk about it all the time, but explosive plays lead to points in the NFL. And this and this is a perfect example of that. And it's tough. It's this is an explosive offense. They have explosive playmakers. And it's really hard to contain explosive playmakers for four quarters. And I think you'd like them to the the the, the secondary of the of the commanders to be a little bit more consistent. But on that play specifically, they're in quarters coverage. Forbes is in, I don't know if he could be in a better position. <clears throat> and gets his hand on the football and Devontae yeah, if you freeze Smith- the, the ball at the catch point or the the play at the catch point smith is up full full extension forbes yeah. has a, an arm between his arms and he doesn't even catch it clean yeah like he knocks his arm he knocks the ball and the ball kind of just falls back down to Devontae smith as he comes down yeah and that's tough and they get paid they make plays too and that's not the case with all the explosive plays that we're going to talk about right now but for sure on that one, I feel if I'm the coach, there might be some technical thing that they want him to do differently, be in better relationships, keep his hips square longer, force him to the side, whatever it may be. But in terms of at the catch point position during the majority of that route, if you're just watching it as a lay person or even a fan of football, you're, you're kind of saying, I don't know what they're exactly coaching him to do, but he can't, he cannot physically be in a better position, I don't think, unless he's actually – like, I, I don't know. He's really close to the guy. He's probably within a, f- a foot of the yeah. guy. Yeah, I guess he could be one step closer <laughs> yeah. to where he could jump a little bit higher and just cleanly knock the ball away. Like, right. so theoretically, yes, there's a better play <laughs> to be made. But, like, nine out of ten times, 98 out of 100 times, if if that you jump at that same point, Devontae Smith is not coming down with that football. Yeah, 100%. And, and you, like you said, it kind of the serendipity of it, he knocks it out and it falls directly down kind of into his basket again. He's able to re kind of clutch the catch, uh, Devontae Smith. So credit to the Eagles on that one. And I think if there's one other point of, of, of general criticism you'd kind of levy towards the defense is that the front four, which I thought played better in this game than they did against Buffalo, still did not generate a consistent enough pass rush. Like there's times where Hertz is back there patting the football really looking down the field and that is somewhat frustrating but i also think that's what happens when you go against the best offensive line in football with a quarterback think that can scramble so um that's something that i, I kind of jumps out to me i don't think that'll be an issue this week against chicago but when you're going up against a really good group like can you consistently win rushes and there's a reason that that's the best group in football and and credit to chase young he got a sack he got a couple pressures on jordan mylotta a guy who when i did my evaluation of philly last week was is is playing really high level football so great job by chase but i think that you know on the whole the, the group was relatively quiet 
Yeah. Um, let's let's double click there and oh, then yeah. we'll circle back to Forbes and the rest of the explosive plays. Um, John Allen has been incredibly quiet. And I'm not saying yeah. he's playing bad football, but like the explode, like Deron Payne has made plays. He had the three and out against Denver. Montez right. has had some pressure, some quarterback hits. Like he shows up a couple times a game. He's obviously had some sacks earlier in the season. He had three in the first two games. Uh, hasn't had one since, but he's continued to get uh, occasional pressures. John doesn't feel like he's had any signature plays, any moments this year. Um, I guess he had the one sack of Wilson where he had the spin move and kind of karate chopped him down. Yeah. Um, but like by and large, he has had a what I feel like for him a quiet year. What's going on there? Uh, to and how do they get him back to like his Pro Bowl, All Pro type of level versus just like yeah, he's playing well. Yeah, I think. That's something that maybe we should do like a more long-term project on where I can watch all of his rushes okay. and all of his snaps specifically. Cause you're just watching in these games, you're watching, you know, kind of the whole defense. You're trying to figure out exactly what's going on for the pulse of the game. So if that's something you want to do, I, I don't have a problem watching. Yeah, let's do it. And figure it out. Okay. So let's do that. But it, it just, what I would say is when you're, wor when you're working with new people earlier in the year, that can be very, um, that, that could be that could be a hindrance. And when I watched the Bills game, I remember specifically thinking he's still figuring out how to work with Chase more consistently. And I think when John has the green light, you that green light is very powerful for a player. And I don't want to speak for John. I'm just speaking from guys that I've other guys that I've talked to, like JJ Watt, for example, when I was in Houston. And he could just basically do whatever he wanted. And every rush opportunity, the defense was constructed around him getting a pressure, getting a sack. And so when Casey Twohill's in there, when James Smith Williams in there, when FA Obata's in there, they are there to support John. And now it's more of a 50-50 split in terms of John supporting Chase and Chase supporting John. And I do think one of the things I would say about Chase is Chase is going for it every single time. And so that forces John to kind of come back a little bit. And, and again, that was in the Bills game. I have to watch him more specifically in the Philadelphia game and some of the early games this season to kind of make that a definitive point. But that's something I would say that is affecting him is in terms of his efficiency is he no longer is like the go, go, go guy. He's, he's now working um, yeah. in conjunction with other people on the defensive line. All right. Uh, so we'll obviously come circle back to that. Uh, or John's going to have 85 tackles on Thursday night against yeah, Justin Fields and company. And uh, then, then the project is, is a little more fun. Cause it's like, what did John <laughs> Allen figure out uh, between Sunday and Thursday to become so effective? Uh, all right, let's go back to Forbes. Yeah, because at the end of the day, like 17 points are basically directly and not fully directly, but like pretty directly on him. Yeah. You know, the three that we just talked about uh, to get them in field goal range at the end of the first half. Not much you can do there. Uh, you got Moss. It happens to everybody uh, by Devontae Smith. Then you've got the bubble situation, the fake bubble or the fake screen where yeah. he jumps up on it uh, and, you know, Derek Forrest misses a tackle. That's actually, I've been probably a little harder on Forrest than I should have on that. That's a tough play to come back and he's sprinting from the, the opposite hash and trying to tackle a big strong man in AJ Brown. You, you, his job is to do it, but he missed. Um, and then, you know, the pursuit is not good either to let AJ Brown score on that, but it starts with Forbes doing some stuff that he's not supposed to. Yeah, and I don't know the rules. I don't know what they're being coached to do, but basically it's 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 a kind of a tight bunch. They short motion a receiver outside. They have AJ Brown act like he's gonna block the guy that's now bumped with with um with the motion, who I, I don't know who it is, maybe St. Juice. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> excuse me. And I don't and so to me, when I look at that, the guy who's supposed to make the play on the bubble 
is St. Juiced because that's his man. You feel the blocker coming, you go attack the football. When A.J. Brown goes to block St. Juiced, um, Forbes is is kind of in between. You can see he's looking at the at the bubble and kind of starts moving up towards the bubble. And I don't know, again, we don't know his techniques, but I'm saying if you're in true man-to-man coverage and that and your man your man is AJ Brown, I would expect you to be a little bit more focused on him in that's in that situation. But obviously you're trying to make a play on the bubble, you're trying to do all these different things. I get it. But that would be my one question if I could ask Ron or ask Jack or ask, you know, Coach Rock, the guy who coaches the DBs. What like what's what are his rules here, and is he doing what you want him to do? Because I think physically, obviously, like when you run a double move, like he stops his feet, AJ Brown runs by him, and he's he's athletic. He does a good job of kind of getting approximately back in phase. I think he's about eight eight ten yards away. But that's the whole point of running that double move is to take advantage of an aggressive player. Great throw by Jalen, really great throw by Jalen Hurts, and obviously AJ Brown does the rest. So. In terms of things that I think are really interesting, you know, what are Forbes's rules exactly? Because Ron in his postgame presser was pretty adamant that they need him to play the techniques that they want him to play. And is that on this play? Is that on the catch to Devontae Smith? Or is that just more general? So uh, that would be something, again, that this week as Ron does his pressers and things like that, kind of get a better feel for, for what exactly they mean by that. Yeah, and then there's another play uh... – We'll get to the double move on the touchdown at the end in a second. But like, I I think when Ron is talking about the technique stuff, um, there's the big play and cover two. Cam does a really nice job coming over uh, right. late and and hitting Brown without picking up a penalty. It's like, oh look, safeties across the league. It can be done. Yeah. You don't have to concuss a guy uh, as you come over and play physical and try to knock the ball out. Um, so Cam does a good job avoiding a penalty. Unfortunately, he's not there in time to get the ball out though. Um, but it's in part because it's a pretty free release up the sideline for AJ Brown. And that's one where if you watch Kendall Fuller on the other side of the field, you see uh, what, what I would assume is how it's supposed to be done from a technique <laughs> standpoint uh, compared to what, what Emmanuel Forbes is. I'll let you describe it in more detail. Yeah. And so obviously we got to give a shout out to our guy, John Kime, because he's the guy that is always kind of pointing this stuff out. What's, what's the take command podcast without a shout out to John. We got to give John Kime a shout out. Um, so Fuller, is doing in this cover two. So cover two, think of cover two. It's like you got your two safeties, like your Madden circles, and then you've got your flat players who are your corners. The problem is people don't run straight cover two like that anymore. They run what I would call, or this team runs many versions of cover two. This looks like cover two carry. So cover two carry is essentially cover two, but the corner, the flat player, <clears throat> is going to get hands on and then carry that vertical to a certain depth to try and eliminate the whole shot. So when you look at Fuller do this, he does a really good job on Devontae Smith. Devontae Smith tries to outside release. Fuller's shoulders are completely square to the line of scrimmage. He's widening him almost till he's out of bounds. Then when Devontae Smith goes vertical, Fuller opens his hips to the quarterback and gets depth with him as he goes. So he never is really out of phase with Devontae Smith at any point during the route. And if and if if Hertz were to throw the ball to his side, I think Fuller could easily make a play on the football. And it gives the safety time and distance to come over and make this time mostly to cover the distance to make the play. So that's Fuller doing it. When you look at Forbes, he does get hands-on, but it's a very different way of doing it. So one of the things, he's not square, right? He opens himself up, puts his right hand on him, pushes him to the sideline. But when he's not square, 
he can't kind of powerfully slide him to the sideline, right? So A.J. Brown's a big, strong guy, says, get that hand off of me, takes off of the sideline. And when you look at the relationship between Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown, A.J. Brown is probably six yards, would you say, Craig, seven yards deeper in the route, potentially. And Forbes, who is very fast, is running in phase. But I'm saying if you are more physical in that cover two catch technique, you widen him, then open your hips to the quarterback, and then get depth. I don't think there's any possible way that Hurts can make that throw. I really don't. I, I mean, that's just no, my 100%. I mean, Forbes does a good job of getting back in the play and making Jalen make a good throw. But he's Jalen Hurts. Like that's yeah. what he does. He, like right. that. Those downfield throws with accuracy is something that Jalen is exceptional at. Now, occasionally, like, will he throw it when there's coverage there, and will it get picked? Yeah, unfortunately for the Commanders, not in this game in terms of the, the interceptions. But like, he's gonna put it where the ball is supposed to be on the landmark. And because, like, like you said, it's as much as anything the time. Like yeah. it, you know, we talk about Cam being able to come over and deliver a good hit. What if that route takes one second longer? That's a pick. Like that's how yeah. that stuff happens. And so there's a timing element to all of this as well on top of just making the throw unavailable because you do widen it out and you're underneath it. And maybe look, like you want to create a turnover, that maybe that is a throw that Jalen makes because it's pretty clear that AJ Brown and, and Emmanuel Forbes were talking the entire game like he's like keep feeding me, this rookie doesn't have anything on me type of stuff. And maybe Jalen throws it up there and Forbes gets a pick or Cam comes over and gets a pick. Um but you don't give yourself a chance at that because you don't play the technique properly. You don't widen it out. You're not close enough and you don't give your safety time to get over. So to me, as much as any play, that is an embodiment of Ron's comments where he, it's not just playing the technique, it's playing the technique the way we're teaching it. And like, yes, is there something to Emmanuel Forbes being Emmanuel Forbes? Yes. Um, you drafted him because he plays a certain way and he, that way generates turnovers. And, you know, he's the NCAA's all-time leader in pick sixes. That's why you love him. But these are professional coaches who are doing stuff for a reason within the context of a scheme, and you gotta you gotta at least meet them halfway and, and play the the technique the way that they're coaching it because it works in conjunction with the rest of the defense, not just you doing your thing. Like you don't want to lose the personality of the player, but the that can be uh, buttressed by by better technique. Right, but I think in this one, like the technique probably increases the likelihood of him making that explosive play. Like we. Totally. I, I think when you're talking about the composition of the player, you look at that bubble screen, you say that's that you're attacking an aggressive football player, a guy who wants to get his hands on the football. In a man situation, you you show him this fake bubble and he gets a little bit nosy. That to me is who Forbes is. And again, we don't know the exact technique there. Maybe you should get hands on AJ Brown. Maybe you should do a bunch of stuff. I don't know. But this in this situation, I think the technique would have elevated his opportunity to be Emmanuel Forbes because he's in better relationship to the quarterback. Uh, to, to the receiver, excuse me, and and potentially could make a play on the football. So I think that's one. <clears throat> and I think I think that's probably the one, like you said, that's the one Ron's talking about with technique. And, you know, maybe on the bubble screen, he should get hands on A.J. Brown earlier, try to slow him down, whatever. Mm -hmm. Playing Like when you talk to Fred Smoot about playing DB, you realize there's a lot of nuance to the position that I think we all assume there is, but there's even – it's even more heightened in terms of right. How it's also, you through. become more enlightened when you understand what the nuance is, right? Correct, it's yeah. one thing to understand. There's like, there's things I don't know. Cool. It's like, <laughs> well, now that you know them, you realize like, Oh my God, that's really complicated. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, or, you know, Hey, the NFL is really fast. Then, you know, you know, that as a player coming out of college and you get out there and you're like, Oh, this is what fast <laughs> yeah. is. You know, the, the, you don't know what you don't know type of thing. I think is a big thing uh, with DBs.
Um, we talked about this a little bit in the post game. My attitude on this hasn't changed on the last one. I have no problem with the way Emmanuel Forbes played the double move because the Eagles did something dumb and they got away with it kind of yeah. because, you know, if Ron goes for two and they get it, or if the commander score in, in overtime, uh, that costs the Eagles the game. And in a situation sick. where uh, you need a turnover, like for the, the other side of, of that coin where the Eagles are doing something dumb is the commanders need a turnover to get the ball back. Yeah. Unless the Eagles do something dumb, like score way too fast. And so if, if they're going to be silly enough to throw it and think they can sneak a first down and, and then be able to milk the clock down for a field goal and you're Emmanuel Forbes and you're like, I'm going to jump this and I'm going to make the play of the game, I got no problem with it. Um, yeah, and the fact they're even throwing the ball there in any capacity crazy. is surprising. I mean, I, not that they're throwing the ball in any capacity, but I think it was like third and short or second and short. It's it's like you have an opportunity to like run the, run the clock out here and be and mm -hmm. totally control the game. So... I agree that on that one. I know they have a way that they play double moves, and you see it earlier with Kendall Fuller. I think he gets a PI on it, but it's it's really and so maybe Ron is talking about this also with with regards to technique. But on that on the comeback and go, they ran it to Fuller's side earlier in the game, and Fuller does a great job of he he moves to break on the comeback, but as the receiver is running by, he turns with him and kind of widens him to the sideline a little bit, and he get the obviously that's illegal contact, but. That, I think, is the technique that they're looking for to prevent this explosive play down the field. And, we, you know, it's so funny when you watch – when I watch Fuller do it, I'm I'm like, that is technically by by letter of the law penalty. But it's like one of those ones where if they didn't call it, you totally understand why they didn't call it also. And I think if you're employing that technique in that situation on the double move, I think you're, you're going to – you are going to be more consistently in a more effective position to make a play if you're the corner. If you're the corner. Now, in the context of this game – you don't want him to do that because you don't want a DPI and you you want to make sure that the offense gets the ball back. I don't think he's thinking about that. We're just talking about like the technique on a down-to-down -down basis. But um, I agree. You want him to be aggressive there. Maybe they're not. he's not doing exactly what you want him to do with regards to the technique. But it, it ultimately, even though it's a bad play, ends up helping the team out. So, yeah. Take a man podcast from Odyssey Sports. Logan Paulson there. Craig Hoffman here. Uh, two situational things I want to talk about real quick. Um, okay. First is the third down right before the kick in overtime. So they right before the kick. they get a it was a uh, sack grounding yeah, whatever it. it was that pushes it's like third and seventeen right. and it pushes the Eagles out of field goal range or to the, like the, the, the outer edges of human leg strength possibilities. And Jake Elliott's got a cannon for a leg. Like maybe you, he hits a 64 yarder and you, you tip your cap. Cool. But they bring pressure uh, to, because they know like we can't give up yardage here. They're back in field goal range and the coverage is playing off. And that has gotten yeah. a lot of attention. And I think it should. I think that's a bad marriage of pressure and coverage. And those kinds of things drive me bananas. Cause it's like, why do you not just full press coverage there? Like right. make this as hard as possible. And I know you're scared of a double move. You're scared of getting, giving up a big one and giving up the first down ultimately. But if you're bringing pressure, the whole point of doing that is there's not time for it. Right. And so if you're going to, if you're going to force a quick throw, giving up yardage there and, and space to have a receiver run in to be hot and available for Jalen hurts is self-defeating. 
So I'm curious what you made of, of that situation. And if there's anything that, that the general public is missing when they're, everyone's you know, throwing their hands up going, what the what? Yeah. So I'm not going to talk about that. I'll talk about that specific situation here in a second, but in terms of playing off coverage in a versus a blitz look to me, when I see teams, do, or, <clears throat> you know, when I was playing teams would do that. And one of the reasons you're doing that is because you as a defensive, uh, you as a defense know that there are only a couple solutions that the offense can use, utilize here to get the ball out on time. And when I'm playing off with my eyes through the receiver to the quarterback, I can break on slants. I can break on the kind of hot route solutions that you're talking about. When I'm in press, I can't see the quarterback. And so when you talk to DBs, a lot of some of them in, in pressure situations want to play off. So they can see that slant, they can see the hot solution and make a play on the football. And so while I think there's a lot of fans that say, you know, Fred Smoot's like this because he played with, um, you know, under Greg Williams, who's like the most one of the most blitz happy coordinators of all time. And he, he wants to press. But then you talk to, I don't know, Kendall Fuller, you talk to other DBs around the NFL and they say, I actually prefer to be off because I want to make a play on that. And Fuller has done a good job in pressure situations over the course of his career of getting picks in those situations. Now, are they a little bit deep for my money here? Probably. And what I would say is, I don't know this for sure, but I do know that sometimes coordinators get in a rhythm of a game and they say, oh, it's third and 17. This is my third and 17 call. And they lose sight a little bit of the situation, a little bit. I'm not saying that's what happened here, but that's kind of what it felt like. It's like, it's third and 17. We need to get whatever we need to do. And the players lose sight of the situation too. So even though Jack makes a call that he really likes in that situation, hypothetically speaking, and this is all, we're all kind of speculating now. The players forget that it's not, it's not third and 17 we're trying to defend. It's actually third and six. So this might be a good call for that, but I need to be a little bit tighter to my guy here so that when that ball comes out, I can make a play on the football. So I think it's kind of a combination because they, they, there wasn't a timeout before, right? It was just right in the middle. Uh, no, it, yeah, there's no timeout there. So if you had a timeout before that, oftentimes as the coordinator, as the position coach, you say, hey, guys, remember the field goal number for him is X. So we're defending X. We're not defending the 17-yard line. Because the way they dropped out, it looked to me like they were defending the 17. You know, and that's something that does right. happen in the course of a game is, is guys just, they lose sight a little bit of a specific situation. And it felt like, and you have to talk to Jack. You have to talk to all these guys. But it felt like that's what happened. Yeah. So I've got it pulled up. Um, I wish we could show it. But, you know, I don't, like, want us to get sued. Uh, so um, it's cover zero. Like, it's very clearly before the snap, cover zero. You got – they're in full It's cover empty. one, right? It's cover one. No. There's, a, there's a post safety or no? No. It's it's a six-man pressure. You got your four down. Both linebackers come. Um, so and, there should be an extra guy, right? There should be and, somebody But they're somewhere. they're – split out uh they're okay. in empty it's okay. it's five across okay um and and there's one guy you know one defender over each of the receivers head up but the guy who's the line of scrimmage is the 46 like the plus 46 yeah and the closest defender to his receiver is the guy furthest away from the quarterback aka the least likely to be hot and that's kendall fuller who's on the 40 right um across from i think that's Devonte smith um everyone else like is is between eight and 12 yards off the right. line of scrimmage. Yeah. And I, and you're just like, what? And sure enough, out of the, actually, uh, Fuller's not on. Maybe that's Swift down here because Devontae's in the, the slot uh, to the, you know, the guy literally closest to Jalen Hurts uh, sure. on the, the left hash uh, is where the ball is. He's in the left slot. 
Uh, and so it's, you know, he's got his eyes in the backfield the whole time. He sees this blitz coming and he gets about four yards off the line of scrimmage, breaks in on a slant and, you know, winds up getting a, a 10 yard or so gain. And that just makes life a lot easier for the field goal being, you know, it's still a 54 yarder, right. but it would have been 64. Uh, and maybe they punt there and, you know, or they, they miss the field goal and then you're right. almost in field goal range already. So like, you know, we talk about marriage of coverage and pressure. Yeah. That to me is what you're talking about. And, you know, situationally, situational awareness for sure is part of it. But also, why would you ever play that far off in cover zero? So, I mean, <clears throat> in cover zero, I think last year, there was a couple of times where they played it in Philly, you know, to kind of in the red zone situation. And it's helpful because they're running deeper concepts trying to get the first down. And so you just catch it. There's nowhere to go with the ball. It ends up being a sack or a hurry or pressure, whatever. <clears throat> so I think there are advantages to it. But I think to your point, they're calling it this is probably like a third long call for them. Or, or I don't I don't want to speculate, but it seems like a, a pretty consistent third long call. And when we got to have it, we're going to bring this kind of pressure. What I would say is just so the guys are, gonna, are used to running it in a specific way. They're used to running it in mm -hmm. third and eight, third and nine, third and 10, third and 11, whatever it is. So here's a situation where it is third and 17. So you say, hey, probably the coaching point is like mind the sticks when we run this zero because we just got to get them in front of us. But it's not that's not the situation like you're alluding to. It's it's actually right. third and six or whatever, third and eight. So if it's third yeah. and eight, I'm going to play this a little bit differently and be a little bit more aggressive. So that that to me, I think if I was making an assumption, I would just say that they're used to calling it in a specific down and distance at a specific time. And the coaching points probably mind the sticks. They're all minding the sticks, but the sticks are actually not where the sticks are. It's where the field goal kicker can hit the field goal from is right. what I would what I would assume. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's frustrating, but that's the game. Um, because also, like you know, if they're playing way up and Devontae Smith uh, is able to shake, uh, I think it's Derek Forrest is the defender there and right. man on him, and uh, he he slips the tackle and goes and runs into the end zone that everyone's screaming about. Like, why are you not just playing off more? Like, yeah. how could you get that? Up? So like, <laughs> there is that too. Um, yeah. I, I want to be fair. Uh, the other situational thing I wanted to talk about: Have you had any more thoughts, consideration on going for two? Yeah, I mean, the more. I, and we don't have all the information, but based on just kind of the the math, the analytics numbers, I'm probably going for it like yeah, almost Same. every time because you're on the road, you're an underdog, you've got the momentum, they're tired, the crowd's quiet. I would they're they're it. in shock. Finish it off. And I'm not um, saying you're gonna get it. I'm not saying you're gonna get it. I'm I, you yeah, know, like it could have played out exactly the way it played. You know, like you go up for a fade, the guy falls down, you step on his arm, you don't get it. It, it could easily go that way. Sure. I just feel like there is a it's like 50 50 you know 50 right. 50 and that's all things being that's all things being equal and obviously that situation at the end of the game it it's not all things being equal because maybe eb used all his short yardage calls maybe your guys are super gassed maybe you just need a moment to kind of catch your but whatever it is that that's why he gets paid to make that decision on the sideline but from a numbers perspective math i would yeah. probably have gone for it so here's the other thing that I didn't think about on Sunday that uh, GP brought up on his show. And I think one of his friends texted him. So shout out to Grant Paulson's friend and his friend. Yeah. They should have gone for it no matter what, because they play again on Thursday and exposing wow, yeah. your guys to an extra 30 or 10 or whatever. Like whatever, you yeah. can speak to this better than, than any of us can like those extra snaps. They linger. That hurts. You're yeah. dog tired. And like there's there are studies that say there are lingering effects 
of playing in overtime in the NFL that can last weeks in terms sure. of diminished performance. That is one where like going into the game, if we have a chance to, and it's funny because Ron said yesterday, he's like, you know, in our Sunday morning, you know, when I was preparing for the game Sunday morning, I was thinking about, you know, a bunch of stuff and we got in that situation. And I consulted all my people and we decided to, to kick the field goal. And the Sunday morning meeting should have been, if we get in this situation, we are going for it no matter what. I don't care what play you like. Like, give me your best one. Pretend that it's four, that we're down a touchdown and yeah. it's, it, we're at the two yard line. What, you're not, you're going to, kick the field goal no like you have to have a play that you like more than every other one yeah. even if it's not you know like ideal because of the playing on thursday they should have gone for it and i i think even without that they should have for all the reasons you said but it becomes less defensible when you're playing again on a quick turnaround and yeah. exposing your guys to extra plays and extra fatigue and and you know shortening their recovery and and adding to damage uh could cost you on thursday not just on sunday yeah, I mean that's a great point by Grant's friend, and <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I mean I think that we don't have we don't have access to all the information that they have access to, so I would say the math would say I would if, based on the math I would go for it is what I would say. Yeah. Okay. That's what you're going to say. That's what, I'm gonna uh, say. that's what Logan says. Uh, for more of what Logan says, come back tomorrow. We're going to preview the Chicago Bears game uh, because we are just flipping pods, flipping radio shows. We're doing yeah. everything as fast as we can this week because uh, we also are preparing for Thursday night football. And then we'll see you at Tap Sports Bar on Thursday. The official Take Command pregame show starts at 630. But coming out with the start at 4, the Hoffman Show on the Team 980 of course, we're live every day on the radio, but Thursday we will be at Tap Sports Bar in person. Uh, Thursday morning, also, we'll have a take five, uh, some stories from Logan's playing days in Chicago. And then Friday morning, we will do our post-game reaction pod, uh, and then we'll be back on a pretty regular schedule next week. Uh, that's it, and that's all for this edition of Take Command. We'll see you tomorrow.